You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Welcome to our teaching on the Storehouse Blessing. We've been talking to you about the three different kinds of storehouses. First, there's the immediate use storehouse. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 5, it talks about it being like a kneading bowl. It means your next meal. It's not the meal you're eating now. It's one you've got coming today or tomorrow, the next day, and so forth. God blesses that. Jesus had an immediate use storehouse. It was the purse that Judas Iscariot managed, and by the way, he stole from it. Uh, There were about 200 days' wages in that purse, according to Philip in the Gospels. And then there is the longer-term storehouse, which is an intermediate use. It's something that we see in Egypt when Joseph had the people put back grain for the seven years of trouble that was coming on the land. And so they stored up grain for intermediate use. It was not for, you know, a generation later. It was going to happen in seven years. So they prepared for that. That's what an intermediate use storehouse is, and nothing wrong with that. We see God ordained it in the way that he saved the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. Then we see this third kind of storehouse, which we call the interdimensional storehouse. It's the one that Jesus was referring to when he said, lay up treasures in heaven. You can actually have a storehouse in heaven, and we've given you a number of stories to show you how people were able to tap into the interdimensional storehouse. Now, we're going to get another look at it. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, the apostle Paul said this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Now sometimes we quote this scripture when we want to see somebody get their comeuppance. But I really believe that the context of this has to do with the positive fulfillment. Now the church at Jerusalem had sown a lot of seed, and the time finally came for it to get its harvest. In the early days, they had given unselfishly toward the spread of the gospel and toward the needs of the people around them. Acts 4, 32 is where I'll begin. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was on them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. God moved on the people at Jerusalem to sell their properties because Jerusalem was going to be sacked and conquered by the Romans. And this was before that. They had some years before this would happen. But the Spirit was leading them and ultimately led them to get out of Jerusalem. Now, this generosity, this wave, no doubt, continued into the other churches of the day. And it supported the ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer, Acts 6-2. 
This is local ministry. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, and they said it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. So they were talking about taking care of the widows, and they said, we're not going to be able to do that. We've got to stick with what God's called us to do. We're going to stay with the ministry of the Word. So the ministry of the Word and their prayers for that local church was one way that the church ministered, and it's what the support went to. That's part of it. But then it also had a worldwide component. Later on, the church at Antioch, which had sprung out of the church at Jerusalem, the Bible says in that church there were prophets, Acts 13, 1, and teachers. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "'Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul.'" for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So Paul and Barnabas went out and started a worldwide ministry. They went into Asia Minor, ultimately into Europe. And it was because of the support of the people who gave in the church at Antioch. Antioch, in turn, had picked up that habit from the people in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem set the example for a very generous and giving church, a church that believed in sacrifice. Now, when you have that kind of seed in the ground, you can expect that God is not going to let you down. So now many years later, well over 20 years have passed, and the people in Jerusalem are not doing well financially, especially the church. Persecution has set in. They may not have realized it, but God was setting them up and preparing them to totally leave the city. But He still cared for them, even though they were living in a doomed city. Now about the collection for God's people, Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 16.1, Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So now here is this Gentile church, many Gentile churches, those in Corinth, Macedonia, Galatia, they are all sending back relief offerings to the suffering and poor saints in Jerusalem who got the whole thing started. They were going to be blessed for the seed that they themselves had planted. Paul is talking about how important this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He comes back to the topic of giving to the saints at Jerusalem. And he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 and 9, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, my wife and I paid our tithes, the first 10% of our income. We did okay. We were blessed. We were slowly getting out of some of the oppression we had been in financially. But when we moved to Tulsa, God spoke to us shortly after we got here with a challenge Give up the money that's coming from the sale of your home in Texas. We had about $5,000 or so that was coming to us. We were going to use it to buy another house here in the city. There was a grace that came over us. 
Now, it took me at least a week to 10 days to realize that it was indeed the Lord. I prayed about it carefully. Then I asked God to confirm it through my wife. She also had heard the same thing. We got together and compared notes. She agreed with me 100%. That's exactly what God told me to do. So we did that. When we did that, we both sensed an amazing grace over what we had done. Giving is a grace. People who are generous can expect to step into a grace, a cloud of blessing, that even though you have given and you've given sacrificially, you're not grieving over that. And here's why. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. In other words, Jesus was delighted to lay down all of the power of heaven in order to come because he knew it would result in a whole bunch of new people coming into his family. Now, God enables us to give by faith. In other words, we give without seeing an immediate result. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 8, 1, 2, and 3. He says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability." When this grace takes you over, you will not be saying, I will give once I have a lot of extra money. And there are a lot of people who say that. And can I tell you this? That if you're not giving at the station of life you now occupy, neither will you give when you have more. It just doesn't work that way. That's why I'm so thrilled that in our lowest moment, God challenged us to give up what amounted to 50% of our annual salary. In 1978, my salary was $10,000. I had $5,000 coming from the sale of that home. We gave that up, 50% of our income, and we were thrilled with expectation as to what God was going to do. Now, why could the Macedonians give as much as they were able and even beyond their ability? Because they had this incredible sense that God was going to provide a supernatural response. I'm not sure they all expected to receive a huge sum of money back for what they gave, but they knew that God was going to do something wonderful. Jesus himself did this. He gave with the expectation of a supernatural response. Let me read to you from John chapter 10, verse 15. Jesus said, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And he says, in effect, because I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He said, the only reason I'm able to do this is because I know the Father. And I know what will happen if I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, he goes on to say in verse 17, a couple of verses later, he said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Jesus is basically saying, if I lay down my life, I will rise from the dead. He said, no one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. Jesus said, in other words, I can give even my own life because I know there will be a supernatural response and I will pick my life back up again. That's what is behind this law of giving. And we're not giving to get. It's not some hard, callous thing where we're chasing money or we've got our eyes set on some rich house or a certain amount of dough and savings. That's, that's not it. We are giving because we know how God is so good. And we know we can trust Him. And the reason I know that God does this is because I've experienced it myself. And I started with nothing and everybody who knows me from 50 years ago knows I started with nothing. I had nothing. I came from nothing. We were in poverty. But God challenged us when we had nothing. And He came through at every turn. That's why I can never apologize nor be bashful in talking to people about being generous in their finances because I know what God has in store for you. I want to thank you for watching our podcast today. And if you really liked it, would you please give us a little thumbs up by clicking on that sign down below? And then I would encourage you to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any of our future podcasts because they're all going to be good. And if you would like to support us financially, either with a one-time gift or recurring gift, you can do that by clicking on the link below or going to myfaithroots.com. Thank you so much for watching this program. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.